Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to be John 15, 18. I find it very interesting that out of many things that Christ said, a lot of times those were words of comfort that we turn to and we look for those comforting times. We're going through a difficult time. We look through the scriptures and find some words of comfort. But today, the words that Jesus has for his disciples are not going to feel like comfort whatsoever. In fact, it's going to feel very much the opposite. But one of the ways we do find comfort with Christ, one of the ways we do find comfort with Jesus, is the fact that he tells us the truth. And that truth sometimes is, is harder to, and harder to come by nowadays, right? Yeah, I mean, just watch the news. Even on the news, you're sitting there sometimes going, that's not right. The truth is harder to find. So it's comforting to know the truth, even when it's something that we really do not want to hear at all. The truth is a good thing. Christians, what do we teach our little ones? To tell the truth, right? We always teach our little ones to tell the truth. It's important to know what the truth is. Jesus himself modeled that. So he told the disciples a very tough thing here. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Now, I wish he had said uh, the world uh, will agree to disagree with you, and they would believe what they believe and allow you to believe what you believe. I wish he had said things like that. But Jesus has predicted in John 15 here, in 33 AD, what would happen if you were a follower of the true Messiah? That the closer you got to Jesus Christ and became a true believer and put into practice what he teaches us. These just aren't words. We take these things and we try to put, you know, put them into our life. It's like, like batting practice for baseball. Sometimes you hit the ball, sometimes you miss the ball. But you're out there again and again and again. You're practicing it. And he says, when you put these things into practice, you will be misunderstood, you'll be maligned, you'll be hated. Because that is the truth. Now, in some ways, personally, we get maligned or misunderstood and hated because you yourself were acting out. Got on some type of crusade and we get in this attitude and, and, you know, they're just saying that because I'm a Christian. When in reality, it was because you were just being a jerk. We tell the truth, right? Sometimes we're jerks. You did something you shouldn't have done or... You know, Jesus is saying, what you did does not represent me well. And that is not of me. You didn't represent me in that tone of voice or that attitude that you had. Therefore, you you deserve to be maligned and it has nothing to do with Christ. However, this is not the warning that Jesus has given us right here. That's something completely different. He's saying, guys, something is about to happen. And the Holy Spirit's going to come down into your lives. And and it's going to help you out so much. So much that your batting average of you doing what is right, of being righteous, 
is actually going to go way up. It's going to go through the roof. I can imagine him saying, now, I, don't, I, I know that you don't believe it yet, but Simon Peter is really going to become that rock that I keep calling him. He's really going to become that standard bearer in a sense. But I know you don't believe it, but, but doubting Thomas is going to bring the gospel to the entire subcontinent of India. And I know you don't believe it now, but, the, but you know, John, the one right, you know, that wrote this book, we call him the son of thunder because he was a fisherman. He was loud and obnoxious sometimes. But John here, the fisherman, is going to write five books of my holy scripture. I can imagine them kind of laughing, going, oh, Lord, I love it when you joke around like this. Like our little small group is going to go out and change the world. With 11 guys, come on, Lord, we used to be 12. One of them's already gone. Like, we're going to change the world. And he's going, exactly. That's exactly what you're about to do. And because your, your goals are going to become so big. But up until now, you were just surviving. But I'm going to give you goals that are so huge, you won't even believe it. And that goal, that goal will impact the world. Now, 2,000 years later, we would all agree that what they did had a huge impact on the world, wouldn't we? Absolutely. Huge impact. Couldn't you imagine that the small Bible study that you may go to, a small group of people that you study the Word with, and that Jesus, you know, 11 of you, Jesus would show up and say, okay, guys, you're my plan. We'd be like... Us, your, your plan? You, this, this is your plan? Yes, you're my only plan. Well, <laughs> this is your only plan? You're joking, right? My little Bible study. I mean, if you're in a Bible study, look around, look at each other. You're the only plan. I don't have another plan to save the planet. I've invested three and a half years into the 11 of you. Now, of course, we really know, as you read and study the scriptures, there was a lot more than 11 followers of Christ. The 11 was, was that small group that traveled that went pretty much everywhere with him. You know, here and there, they would be like the, the you know, they would go scope out the area and set up the places to eat and to, to stay and all that kind of stuff. These were his guys. And there was many more followers that would follow him. Oh, Jesus is in town, let me go hear him. And they were followers of Christ also. There's women and young people. We actually think that Mark uh, was a child. You know, John Mark, the one that wrote the book Mark, he was a child at this time and, and running around and watching Jesus and watching these groups of people. But it starts out with this little group. And within one generation, it grows so rapidly. They can, they, you know, these guys converted their energy, their effort, and their belief system into over one million people being followers of Jesus Christ in one generation. Now let's get back to your small group. The 11 of you, 60 years from now, will convert to 1 million people. Now what would you say? Uh, Lord, I think you got the wrong small group. I, I don't know about our small group. Or you might look at the disciples and say, but, but, I mean, those guys, those guys were different. They walked with you. They're spiritual giants. There's something different about them that, that's, that's not like us. And we say these things because we can't fathom. We can't fathom the idea that, that when Christ calls us, that if, that if he did, if, if we, we obey that calling, and we do it with a, even with a group around us, 
combined with the Holy Spirit acting in our life, that, you know, creates an equation that causes a mathematician just to go bonkers. Because he's sitting there going, okay, 11 guys, 60 years, one generation, one, no way. That's what Christ can do in your life. And this is what the Lord is saying. He's also saying, you know what, guys? It is not without a price. And here is your price. They're going to hate you. What? They're going to hate me? You heard me. They're going to hate you. Well, well, why would they hate me? I mean, why would they hate me? Jesus, all I'm planning on doing, by the power of your Holy Spirit, is to love them. That is it. I'm not going to be obnoxious about it. You're the one that's been working on me. You've been kind of taking off those rough spots in me and getting me in the shape and and all that. All I'm going to do is is love them. Have you noticed how much nicer I am to everybody else? You know, and because of you, that should cause them to love me, actually. They're going to love me, Lord. They're going to love me because what I'm going to do is act just like you did. And and they're going to do to me just like what they did to you. Oh, what they're doing to you. They're going to hate me. Verse 20, it says, Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master if they persecute me. Well, yeah, Lord, they have been. It's been really, really rough. And, you know, the past couple of years, they've been really going after you. And he's thinking, well, just wait 12 hours. You'll understand what I mean by hate. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Jesus is so simple here. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Who? You. They will treat you in this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. And he's going to comfort them you know, about this during the times of trials. And even God will say, they did not know me, so therefore they won't know you. And if they don't know me, they don't know the Father. And if they don't know the Father, they're going to persecute you. Verse 22, it says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, there is no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles... And yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. Now you see, by coming, Jesus eliminated every possible reason why a person could say, I don't understand God. He came for that reason. So we, ha- you know, we don't have that excuse. He came here and he lived for 33 years. And he was tempted in every way possible. Every way that you've been tempted, he's been tempted in. So, so he's saying, I do understand. So if you're going to hate me, you've got to pick more of a logical reason than that. Because Jesus is saying here that their reason will not be based in logic. He's saying logically... They have no excuse. It's the same with you. Logically, people have no excuse to hate you when you're acting like a Christian because you're actually out there giving the love of God to other people. Or at least we should be. Sometimes we don't hit that mark. Hopefully we hit that mark more often than not. Now, even one generation ago, 
These words would not have meant much uh, to us in America. Today, we're starting to feel and understand a little bit more um, what it would be like to be persecuted. Not too much, but a little bit. When I was a boy, the missionaries would come to my church, and they would talk about persecution in other parts of this world. And they would say, now think of ways that you feel that you've been persecuted. Now, that's pretty difficult for me as a little boy. I live in America. There's not too many ways to persecute me as a Christian. Uh, they can be against me. They can do certain things. But, but to really, you know, to persecute like they did, you know, missionaries on the mission field. Because we live in a society that we have something called the Supreme Court. And this Supreme Court upholds protections that we get from something called the Constitution. It protects us from this persecution. And it gives us to right, you know, the right to worship as we seem fit. And according to, to our Bill of Rights, we have freedom of speech. So we have naively assumed that it will always remain that way in America. So growing up, I would hear about persecution in Russia and China and India. But here in America, we're starting to see signs of that in our nation. And we're going to slowly catch up to the rest of the world in regards to how it feels about Christians. Not nominal Christians who, who don't really practice it. You know, I mean, our nation, I mean, if you do a survey, 85, 90% call themselves Christian in our nation. Now, when's the last time you've watched the news? Does 85% of our world, you know, United States act like we're Christians? Of course not. So we're not talking about the nominal Christian that just says, well, I'm a Christian, but just does what they want to do, that doesn't follow the tenets of our faith. Because, you know, those who literally believe the Word of God and follow the words and words of Christ, those people I believe, and that's you included in that, will become more and more hated in today's society. So I want you to think about this. Because as I was thinking about this myself, the Lord reminds me that it's still not as bad as Pakistan. It's still not as bad as Indonesia or Morocco or Iran or Afghanistan. It's still not as bad as North Korea or, or China or Russia or Vietnam. But now Christians in America are starting to get a taste of, of the coming prosecution. So Americans in their, their 50s and the 60s, you know, those, those that lived back in the 1950s and 60s, they, they understood a little bit more about uh, persecution if you paid attention to the time, especially those from an African background. They understand this more than most of us understand this because they were not only persecuted for being a black person, but many churches were burned down at that time. And here, brothers and sisters of Christ were going up against each other. And right now, I see so much in the news and shows and the media where it used to be really subtle. But right now, they don't even hide it. They don't at all. Christian things are being mocked ridiculed and laughed at in editorials, newspapers, in the public media, and the protection is just not there like it used to be. In fact, the, in the past month, the Supreme Court ruled that a cross in the National Park, in, in one of the, the Mojave Desert National Park, could stay there. It's been there. It's a, it was a tribute to those uh, you know, in our, uh, that, that fought in World War II. It was a, you know, for them. And a group had sued them and said, that can't be on national land. 
And the Supreme Court ruled, no, it can stay there. And there's a couple other issues they're trying to work through, but it can stay. Just this last week in the middle of the night, some people went up there and they ripped it out of the ground. They unbolted it, they tore it out, however they did it, it's no longer there. The persecution of Christians is coming to America. Now this doesn't mean that we need to get just like all riled up because then we start acting like Peter in the garden. You know what Peter in the garden? You know, they're, they're being persecuted. What does Peter do? He pulls out that sword and he starts fighting. Of course, what is he? he? He starts fighting the lowliest of the lowliest of the servants. He doesn't fight the, the guards that are there. And Jesus has to, you know, clean up the mess. So we don't want to do that. We want to be very intelligent, very correct, very righteous in our response. Not self-righteous, but righteous. And that calls us to prayer. Christians should be praying about this more than we are. Peter said, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Guys, I'm not an alarmist type of person. I'm not. I'm pretty moderate in, in most things. The alarmist has been saying these things since the 1960s. And I'm starting to agree with what they're saying. I'm starting to see what they've been saying that's coming to America. And I believe that it is coming. And I believe that we need to be ready for that persecution when it comes. Now, what does that mean? Do we say, well, praise the Lord, persecution's coming? No. No. Persecution's coming so I can be closer to Jesus now. No. See, I believe that as Americans, there's nothing unchristian about exercising our rights and challenging those who, who want to deny us our rights as Christians and, and people that can worship freely. As long as our tone and our attitude and our spirit is right, those things have to be in check before we can go out and do any marching, before we can go out and do any, hey, that's wrong. That has to be in check. Our attitude, our spirit, and our tone. And if we can't get that right, we need to be quiet. Jesus told Peter, hush, get behind me, Satan. What you're saying is not of me, because his tone, his spirit, and his character was going against what Christ represented at that moment in time. So what should we do? First, we should fast and pray more. Jesus has said, you will be persecuted more. And up to now, you know, we've not been persecuted much. So the scriptures have, have caused us to pray. As we read, we, we start praying and we watch the news. We start praying for those that are around the world. In India and other places. I mean, uh, if you ever heard of an organization called Gospel for Asia, uh, K.P. O'Hannon's in charge of that ministry. And some of the stories that he comes back and, and that I've heard directly from him, it's just unbelievable the persecution that's happening. Now, as Americans, citizens, what steps should we take as we are persecuted? Steps that should make us salt and light to the world. It's a very interesting concept. Jesus called us to be salt. What does salt do? It makes food taste better. Salt doesn't know how to be sugary or peppery. It knows how to be salt. 
And Jesus says, just get close to me and become like me. And not try to be like all these other people out there. Just try to be like me. And then sprinkle yourself all over the world. And live with what happens. Well, we know what the reaction is to food when we put salt on it. We like it, right? Most of the time. Too much salt, we're like, ooh, it's, it's a little too salty. But the reaction of the world should be when our salt is out there. Man, I love having Christians in our workplace. They're good workers. They're moral. They're honest. Honest days work for an honest day's pay. It makes the meal taste good in a sense. You understand what I'm saying? But in other you know, cases, the salt that, you know, that we become as we get closer to Jesus and, you know, how we, and how, you know, how do we get closer to Jesus? Well, our Sunday school answers here. Prayer, Bible study, fellowship, that's why we do these things. And then all of a sudden that salt accidentally rubs itself into other wounds. And things that get between them and, and God become a problem. Because when a salt is in a wound, it, it hurts. It helps, but it hurts. Because we get all stirred up. Well, how did we get stirred up? Well, by being with Jesus. Grace and truth come together. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was full of both. We are to be full of grace and truth. We should expect that as we get closer to Jesus... We will have some people reacting, you know, to it for no good logical reason whatsoever. And all of a sudden they're, they're attacking you and you're sitting there going, I, I don't get this. Logically, this makes no sense. Well, unfortunately, you've got to take logic out of it. Because that's the way the world works. So we need to be ready for that. Did you know, in fact, that around the world... 14,000 people a month die because they call themselves Christians. That's a lot of people. That comes out to be about 500 a day that lose their life because of that. 19 people an hour. Every three minutes, somebody, someone is killed because they lifted up the name of Jesus Christ. Now, most of that's not happening in the United States, is it? Ever so often we have something that comes up, but not like that. So we need to start praying about these things. I mean, what's going on in Dufar and Sudan and Niger and other places around the world in India? Guys are literally getting beaten and thrown out of town. And some of these guys, through the Holy Spirit, get back up and they go right back into that town. It's amazing. It's amazing. Because we're a part of the body of Christ, we should be alarmed by that. So we need to decide what our response is as Christians. And for many of us, it's a personal thing. You know, we try to have a church where we can have Democrats and Republicans that can sit in the same church and actually believe that the other one is also a Christian and is also going to heaven. It can get pretty passionate on that end, can it? Yeah. Where we're not going, you voted for, for who? And we can come together around the greater principles concerning the Word of God and the body of Christ. Nevertheless, 
It does not give us an excuse to do nothing. It just gives us a reason to pray about what we should do. Jesus says, you will be persecuted. If they hated me, they will hate you. But he said, listen, I'm going to send you a Holy Spirit to help you. And the more and more we read about the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a very powerful thing and a very important thing that we can tap into in our lives. In verse 26, it says, When the Counselor comes, whom I, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you, you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Well, interesting word, this word testify in the Greek. It's material. Or uh, yeah, I can't pronounce the Greek. I try. But it's a word that we get for martyr. You will martyr, he says. So what happens for us in the 21st century as Christians, we have redeveloped you know, what the word martyr actually is. And we have to start claiming that word back. First of all, martyr is not just somebody who goes out and kills himself for the faith. We hear that word, you know, Islam, Islamic martyr all the time because they're going out there blowing themselves up. That is not what the meaning of this word actually is. First of all, martyr is not somebody who kills. Now, we also use it like, oh, she's such a martyr, or oh, he's such a martyr. That's also not the way it should be. We're taking the biblical word and we're really cheapening it down when we start talking like that. What the word really says is witnesses. You will be witnesses. You will be witnesses. And most of us in America will not die for that reason. We will not die because we're witnesses. Most of us will, will die from other you know, causes, natural and unnatural, but consequently, because martyrdom has not hit our shores until really recently, until we start seeing the bombings and other stuff. You know, we have been behind the times, and we're starting to play catch-up. But Jesus goes on in chapter 16, which we won't really have time for, but in chapter 16, there's a verse that I want to, to finish with. He told the guys, they're going to kick you out of your synagogues. And we saw that. They come in and start teaching about Christ in the synagogue. They forced them out. But it wasn't just synagogue. It was their family structure because the family was built up around the synagogue. And they're looking at him going, Lord, they, they would never do that. Well, I mean, we pay our tithes to the synagogue. They would do that. No, it's coming, he says. And in fact, they will kill you and say that God is blessing it. Does it sound familiar a little bit? Jesus predicts this. I would, uh, I would imagine some saying, come on, Jesus, you're, you're, you're being an alarmist here. Come on, give me a break. But in verse 33, he wraps up by saying, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And our reaction would be somewhat like I would think that their reaction would be. Lord, you have an interesting way of giving peace in my life. You're telling me they're going to hate me, yet I should be at peace about that. Because this doesn't sound very peaceful to me. In fact, it kind of upsets me quite a bit. And the Lord says, 
then you've not really developed in this truth yet. Because what I wanted you to understand is this is fact. I want you to read and, and pay attention to the history. The history of the, the, the Christian church over the last 2,000 years, and even some of the guys that, that wrote these very words, they themselves were physically martyred for their faith. But I want you not to worry about it, he tells them. I want you to have peace. And we're like, Lord, make up your mind. Either upset me or give me peace, but don't try to do both at the same time. I can't handle that. But this is what it is sometimes to follow the Lord. He is so full of both grace and truth that he will tell us something so truthful and wrap it up in grace. And he will say, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, this is an interesting passage. And this is a passage that we should memorize. We should memorize it before we go home. Let's say this together. In the world, you will have trouble. In the world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Look at your neighbor and say, but take heart. What does this mean? It means to have joy. So let's do it one more time. In the world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now who said that? Jesus. Now who is in you? Jesus. Okay. So all this stuff that I just preached about... I don't have to worry about it. The word says what? Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. The peace of God, which will surpass all understanding, will what? Guard your heart and your mind. So if you watch the news or pay attention to politics, and I probably watch too much about politics, it interests me for some reason, or maybe you get you know, frustrated with your friends or, or your co-workers. Well, probably shouldn't go down that road. Say it with me. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now listen, if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, this would just be like a pep talk. You know, there'd be just cheerleader Allen up there saying, Give me a T, give me an R. And what does that spell? Overcome. Some of you caught that, yeah. See, this is why the red letters, as we call it, in the words of Christ are so important. Don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. It's not your job to change the world in how they feel about you. Jesus changed the world. He did that. It is your job to abide in Him. For when we abide in Him, what happens? His words abide in us. And we will ask whatever we want to ask. And it will be done. Those things that we ask will will come into connection with what he would want us to ask for. So we're not out out there asking, oh, I want a new truck. I want this. I want that. We're asking for the things that he would want to be done. And that will be done. What do you will about, or what do you will for the United States? Well, get on your knees and start asking God. My people who are called by my name, he says, will humble themselves and pray, the Lord says. I will heal, I mean, I will hear their prayer and I will heal their land. Our nation needs to be healed. 
Now, come November, 50% of this nation will be happy. No matter who wins. And 50% of this nation will be unhappy. No matter who wins. That happens every election cycle. But you know what? My hope is not in American politics. I'm interested in it. But my hope, my desire... The things that I follow are not in American politics. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth as a child, who grew up and experienced what I experienced, who willingly died for my sins and rose from the grave three days later. That is where I pin my hopes and on nothing else. So as we get to a point in America where we're more attacked, we're maligned, We're all those things as we call ourselves Christians and the world says, no, I don't like Christians. Relax. It's hard to. But our joy and our peace and our hope is in Christ. Not on how the world treats us as Christians. Because we will be persecuted for being one. That, my friend, is a truth. And the grace is, but don't worry about it, because Christ is the one who led the way. He will give you peace about it. Let's pray. Lord, we're getting to a point in our nation where the word that was such a negative word back right after you died, little Christ, that described people that were maligned, people who were were thrown under the bus, people who were hated. It's becoming a hateful word again that we call ourselves Christians and people will sneer at us. People will say that we're intolerant. I pray, Lord, that as that time comes, as we get more and more into that era where, where you're going to return, that we start reacting how you would have us react. That we start making decisions on how you would have us make those decisions, that we rely on you and your spirit for our hope and our desires and our peace and our joy, that we not rely on the happiness on how people are treating us. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength. You've already given us the spirit, and I pray that you awaken that spirit within each one of us, that when we go out and represent you, we do it with an attitude and an action that represents you to, to the greatest point, that those things come from you, and not out of ourselves. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you as you begin to be persecuted in our nation that we call a Christian nation. That we do not rely on politics, Lord. May your face shine down upon us as individuals. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.